So I read Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And hear the word of the Lord. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy toward us today, that in your wisdom and plan that you have appointed on Sunday morning, the Lord's Day, as a time for your church to gather, to worship together, and worship in song and prayer, reading, preaching, receiving the word. And so, Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So, Lord, would you speak? Father in heaven, your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Our house, and really the, the plants that are around our house, are a random assortment of things that uh, either they died there, or they got blown there, or we planted one time, and by God's good grace, they continue to show up. Um, and so, but last year, a couple of things happened that are now showing in our yard. Uh, one, we, you know, we bought pumpkins. We went to the pumpkin patch, which the pumpkin patch for us is just a church that sells pumpkins that we've been going to since we, Sarah Beth and I were married. And, uh, so we got, went there, took the kids, they picked up pumpkins and everything around, uh, you know, for the fall decoration and the decoration stayed there and they stayed there and they stayed there. And despite what you might think, um, pumpkins are not everlasting. <laughs> so, you know, they start doing their thing on the porch. And I'm like, I can't have that. That's, that. that's the straw, you know. It might be like Easter. I don't know when it was, actually. But, like, you know, it's Christmas time or whatever, and the pumpkins are still there. And I don't really care. But when they start, like, doing the drooping and, you know, gooping everywhere, and I'm like, okay. So, uh, me and my wisdom, I... You know, it's, and I'm always in a rush. I'm always busy. So I get them off the front porch and I move them over by our garage. There's like a little spot of pine straw there. And uh, as might have been demonstrated already, some of my children are, uh, well, you know, they're just destructive at times. And so uh, the pumpkins met their end um, at the foot of one of my children. I'm not going to name him. There's... Uh, you can guess. And so they, they're there, just kind of, and I was like, I'm not, so I ended up just kind of burying it. You know, it's just sand, move the pine straw, bury it, put the pine straw back. I was like, maybe they'll grow, you know? Uh, and there's like three or four different kinds of pumpkins that were in this amalgamation of goop that went in the hole. And now we have like 
pumpkin vines like everywhere on and everybody's like so what you growing some squash and i was like no it's just some pumpkins that died and rotted and here they are so we're, and there's two different kinds that, that have survived thus far and so now i'm like invested in it you know you get this far and they, they're i mean the leaves are big and they're but i mean you keep i have to keep shepherding them out of the driveway because that's the driveways right there so i keep turning them back and you know grow that way so we have pumpkin vines that are growing beside our driveway uh Around the same, the fall was an eventful time for us. And we, my neighbor had some deer corn. And the kids got a hold of one of the ears of the deer corn. It's like field corn. And they brought it over, and we have these planters in, beside our front door. And they start, you know, getting the, all the kernels off the cob and just dropping them in the planter. So one day I come, and there's, it looks like a squirrel has been there. The, there's an empty corn cob, and there's some uh, corn kernels just spread out in the planter. And I, so I try to I get everything that I can get, you know, I see. Um, and then a little, you know, come the earlier this year, all of a sudden these, and I didn't, we haven't planted anything in the planters. They're just there, right? So all of a sudden there's this thing growing. And I was like, that looks like something, not a weed, you know? Well, it turns out that it was a it was corn stalk. And so now we have two corn stalks right by our front door. And they're, I mean, they're, by this point, they're taller than me. And they, you've got the little ears of corn. Now it's like a biology lesson. Every time we come home, we like, are the pumpkins there? You know, or, um, we have our ears of corn that are very small and they're growing. It's fascinating. Um, it's not, you know, not the ideal front porch uh, decorations. But the other thing that we planted were these snapdragons. Now, that's not like something from Harry Potter. It's, a, it's an actual plant. Don't ask me. They look like dragons. I don't know. They don't snap. Very little, they're pretty little flowers. We planted those last year. Um, and I had no idea what, I mean, I was like, hey, this is cool. They're pretty. We'll put them in the planters and we'll be done. And so, you know, last year they expired like everything else in the planter. Uh, and Sarah Beth took out the dead stuff and threw it away. Um, but this year, all of a sudden, there are, I mean, we planted like three or four of them in each, you know. And there are probably, I mean, I don't know, 15 or 20 in each planter. Snapdragons, all of a sudden. So I have a six foot tall corn stalk and a bunch of little snapdragons and some like crabgrass or whatever the, the grass thing is over there. It's in our planter. But there's. But the fascinating thing is that that's not the only place that we have snapdragons in our yard now. How about this? It's not the only place on our house. That we have snapdragons. These, uh, so I don't know how this happened. You know, this is, you know, the wind blew them or something. Um, but we have, you know, you walk, if you were to see our front porch, uh, there's a, it's a covered front porch. We have rocking chairs, all that kind of jazz. And it's concrete out there. Um, and in some of the cracks where the concrete meets the brick veneer on the edge, we have snapdragons. Like, not just one. I mean, like, multiple snapdragons are growing in the cracks on my porch. And I'm like, what do you... I mean, you don't want to leave them there, but they're beautiful. They're pretty. By the time that you realize what's happening, you realize this isn't like some random weed. There's got buds. Let's see what's going on. So we have, I think, three maybe on this side. Uh, there was one right by our steps. This is all going somewhere. Okay. It's, there was one right by our steps that, that grew out sideways. And then it turned up. I'm like, the snapdragons, these are the coolest flowers I've ever seen. So the other day, 
I'm doing yard work, uh, which I finally got around doing. And so I'm cleaning around the side of the house that nobody really ever goes on. And I'm, you know, getting all the, I'm spraying Roundup and I'm pulling weeds and I'm mowing, whatever. But over there, you know, all these snapdragons are just single stalks. Except for the ones that are the planters where, where the things died, where all the seeds got dropped and now they're blowing up. But all the way around the house, not line of sight from, from these at all, from the planters at all. So around the corner of the house, I didn't just find one snapdragon. I found this like bundle of them. It looked like something you would buy. Finally, something you would buy at the like Home Depot or somewhere. There's snapdragons everywhere in my house. And I, I feel like every day I discover another nook or a cranny where snapdragon seeds must have landed. And there's snapdragons everywhere. And it's obvious to me that snapdragons were made, designed to multiply because they, they take root anywhere and they blossom anywhere. And I think when we come to our passage, this one verse that I've picked in our, in our To Be Human series here in Genesis chapter 1, God designed humanity to multiply. And so you have humanity being made there in the Garden of Eden. And they were designed by design. That's what designed means. They're designed by design. It's a joke, guys. Redundancy. It's okay. Um, that, that God shaped them to fill the earth. That the filling of the earth by humanity was not accidental. It's not the product of sin. But it's by God's design. We've talked about this a little bit by looking at what was going on in the Garden of Eden. How God made the garden there in this mountaintop national park of Eden. There's a garden in the middle of it. And there's blessings that are rolling down. The four rivers are going out from there. Filling the earth. And God designed humanity for a similar end. As worshiping image bearers, they ought to fill the earth. And as worshiping image bearers... Those who are made in the image of God, worshiping God, declaring his glory, living for his name, reflecting back all of his wonder, they would fill the earth. And as they fill the earth with their love and with their action, with their creation, with their culture making, the earth would be full of the glory of the Lord. That men and women made as under kings and queens, right? Vice regents, so to speak, to rule as God's representatives, bearing God's likeness. They were there on mission, if you will, from the king to make more of them and fill the earth so that the world would become the world latent with potential that required men and women to come and do the work. That it would blossom and become everything that it was meant to be. By design, before sin enters in. And so, it's by design that you have people. I mean, it's, it's amazing, even now in the fallen world, you have people that, that live as nomads in the Sahara Desert. You have Inuits who live where it's frozen all the time. You have people that were... They're from Africa and Asia and Europe, Oceania. It's Australia and New Zealand down there. 
In North America, in all of our different geographical spaces, cultures arise, people take root, because God has designed us to multiply. God put it within Adam and Eve, the potential that there would be many, many people. I think it was this year that we crossed, crossed 8 billion world population, 8 billion More and more and more people. Worshiping image bearers multiply at God's word. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. It is both a, it's a mandate from God. It's a command from God that they ought to fill the earth. But God gives, and Christian take note of this, God gives everything necessary to do what he commands you to do. He gives, every, gives the blessing. He gives the ability. And when children do come, they give credit to God. I finally got a demand from God. Later on, we see Sarah saying that God is the one who gives the potential and they multiply at his word. But we see Adam and Eve, right? We've already talked about this some, that they fall into sin. They rebel against God. But that Ability, that potential, and even that blessing to multiply has not been removed. It's been corrupted. So that as people propagate on the earth, you see both a righteous line and a wicked line. If you will, you see the line of Cain. And you see the line of Seth, because Cain had killed Abel. Both grow and both multiply, both extend. But as humanity extends, sin extends with them. Rather than filling the earth with the glory of the Lord, rather than multiplying the the praises of Yahweh throughout the world, where God is getting glory over people who are worshiping in the frozen tundra, where God is receiving glory as people are worshiping on the desert plain, rather there are filling all of these places people who are holding clenched fists to their maker, seeking to be their own kings and queens or seeking to make their own idols, choosing not to serve and worship the creator, but serving rather and worshiping rather the creature and even sometimes creating in order to worship hands that were made to worship and be lifted up and to craft God's world are rather devoted to crafting what God has made into images that would dishonor Him. So sin multiplies and it multiplies to the degree that in a few chapters in Genesis, what happens? The God named Noah. Flood. The great deluge. Things get so bad that God says enough is enough. And he sends the waters and he consumes humanity justly, righteously. And he delivers Noah and his family and representatives of all the animal species and all that kind of stuff. I'm not preaching that passage, but he saves. But yet that cleansing flood doesn't fix the problem. Chapter nine, it's said again that every intention of the heart is wicked. But God has still made the promise. 
All of this mess is happening. More and more people, more and more mess. More and more sin, more and more rebellion. And even after God wipes it clean, saves a few out of grace. Sin remains. But God has still promised in the garden that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the seed of the serpent. When is he going to get about doing this? When will the effects of Satan's entrance be wiped away? When will sin be destroyed? How will all of these nations who are bound in despair and death and disobedience, how will they be brought to life? And so you have the nations made, the nations cleansed, Noah, more nations. And by chapter 11, you have the Tower of Babel. People coming in league together. Trying to build a tower to heaven. To make a name for themselves. And God once again in righteous judgment. Dispels them. Effectively dispersing the peoples across the world. Dispersing them because they had not yet really obeyed. Been walking in sin, making names for themselves, making cultures for themselves, celebrating in violence. If you see the story of Lamech there, later in the book of Genesis, what does what does God do in Genesis chapter twelve? Anybody remember Genesis chapter twelve? I'll give you a hint. We sing a song about this guy, Father Abraham. Had many sons, many sons had. Nobody? Father Abraham. I'm okay. That God calls Ab- at the time his name's Abram. And he calls him out of Ur, this distant foreign city. He calls him, he's a pagan worshiper. And by the grace of God, he's called out that God would, would through Abraham, he would pick up his promise once again and fulfill it. And what is the promise that he makes in Genesis chapter 12? among other things, that I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you Abraham. Abram, eventually he's going to become Abraham. I'm going to make you a blessing that in, in you all of the families of the earth will be blessed. That it be through Abraham and through his descendants that the fulfillment of the promise would come. So while Abraham, while Adam and Eve had many, many descendants and many, many nations came from them, and as it came from them, many, many, the sins multiplied and rebellion multiplied. It would be through what God does through the people of Israel who were born through Abraham. That the Messiah, the fulfillment of the promise would come. So they multiply at his word. They, Adam and Eve multiply. Noah receives the same mandate. Be fruitful and multiply. And then Abraham, who is supposed to be the father of many nations, ends up. Almost dead. As good as dead, he would say, before he gets his descendant, Isaac. They multiply at God's word, at God's blessing, and they multiply in his world. As I've already said, God's design was that worshiping image bearers would multiply and fill the earth. And that in this way, the borders of Eden would grow. And so rather than a world plagued with brokenness and despair, like we have today, 
when where death seems around every corner. We don't know if it will be snatched away even in this moment. And yet, God has not finished. He's still keeping his promise. That though the worshiping image bearers of Adam and Eve ended up worshiping other things, God has still kept his promise with the seed of the woman, the seed, the descendant of Abraham, the descendant of David, Jesus Christ, in whom all of these promises, all of these commands, all of this is driving us to Christ. That's Christ who is the the true and better Adam. That all who are in him will not participate in death, but they will have new life. It's all who are in Christ who are the true children of Abraham. Not all who are Israel are Israel, the New Testament says, but those who have the faith of Abraham. It's in Christ who is the true and better David that God keeps his promise to set a king upon the throne who's going to rule with equity. And dear ones, we're in the middle of the rolling out fully and finally, the rolling out of this promise. The seed has come, and now, as in Abraham, more so keeping the promise to Abraham, more so in Christ, we have the nations being blessed. How are the nations blessed today? It is not, I mean, fine, this is not a knock on these things. It's not by humanitarian aid flying over. It's not by humanitarian ships going over to places. It is by the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the hope, the, the, the power of God and salvation for everyone who believes. First for the Jew and then for the Gentile. First for the Jews, then for the nations. The nations are blessed in believing at Abraham as they are blessed by believing in Christ. And so God is multiplying image-bearing worshipers as more and more and more people confess Christ. They're born again and they're being renewed into the image of Jesus. They're being conformed, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, conformed into the image of Christ. To multiply in his world. And in fact, this is the mandate that Jesus gives his church. To, gives it to the apostles and through the apostles down to us. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me, he says. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One name, three persons. One God, three persons. Teaching them to obey everything I've I've taught you. And remember, or lo, or behold, or don't forget it. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Here's the mandate. Here's the supply. Same thing. We multiply in God's world at God's word. Because God gives us everything we need to do what God tells us to do. And dear ones, our standing mandate is to multiply by the gospel and the power of the spirit to multiply image bearing in the image of Christ, image bearing worshipers in this world. The mandate hasn't changed. It's just for us today. 
So when you read, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and rule it. Sure, if you're able, have kids. Have kids, teach them about Jesus. See that they, by God's grace, they come to faith in Christ. We'll baptize them, we'll send them out. But also, we must, we must multiply as his witness. We multiply at his word, both his command and in his word, he always supplies what we need. He gives us the spirit without measure. We have the spirit in us who's bubbling up rivers of life. And we multiply in this world, in his world. We are not at liberty to take Jesus' command to the nations. And say, well, God's going to get it done. I'm just going to hunker down till glory. No. No. Christians don't hunker down in disobedience. We don't plant our feet in rebellion. But rather, we seek to continually be yielding ourselves to Christ. And trusting ourselves to Him. Keeping so much as we can, saying our yes is on the table. And if this is our mandate, which it is, it is not, it's not for somebody else to do. It's for somebody else to do the thing that God has given them to do, but it's for us to do the thing that Christ has put in front of us. So if we're going to see the world, right, Habakkuk 2.14 That the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. We don't see that yet. We don't yet see every knee bowing in heaven on earth and under the earth. And every tongue professing that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We don't see that yet. We don't yet see the great multitude in Revelation chapters 5 and 7 who are saying, worthy is the Lamb who has been slain for you purchased a people. He did not purchase a potentiality. He didn't purchase a maybe. He purchased people from every tribe and tongue and nation so that one day we will be in the marriage feast of the Lamb and we will look across and we will see people from from. Nations and people groups that you don't know exist right now. But you'll also see people that are Vietnamese. You see black people and white people. You see Asian people. Native Americans and Indians from the subcontinent. Every tribe and tongue and nation. And if that's the mandate of our Lord, that is ours as well. And he says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, and you will receive power. Oh, God gives you what you need. You will receive power to be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth, or to the uttermost part of the earth. I think you could take that both geographically and eschatologically in the sense that it goes to the ends of every known earth and it goes to the end of time. And we do not, we cannot treat this mission. Multiply image-bearing worshipers in God's world 
We can't just say we're going to do this one thing. We're just going to do our Jerusalem. We're just going to focus on Elgin. We're just going to focus on South Carolina. Or the United States. I believe that it is imperative upon us that we take whatever the Lord has given us and whatever opportunities the Lord has given us to say we're going to invest in all of these simultaneously at the same time. We're going to be going, we're going to be praying, we're going to be sending, we're going to be giving. All four. And you can think about those as concentric circles of geography. Jerusalem, obviously nearby. Judea, kind of south, you could say South Carolina. Samaria, United States, maybe. To the ends of the earth, you could say the nations. But you could also note that there are cultural differences. I mean, Jerusalem to Judea is, is small, but there's a difference. But there's a significant difference from Jerusalem, Judea to Samaria. You're talking about going to people that Jews hate or hated. Going to people not like you. People that you don't understand. They're nearby. But there's a cultural difference. And obviously there's a gigantic cultural gap cross-culturally. But here's the reality Why can we not just do one thing, then another thing, then another thing, then another thing? Because right now in our community, we have all of this. We have, have, there's enough Vietnamese here for a church plant and for real estate agents to be selling them homes. Praise God. You go look at USC's campus, you will see, you will see a myriad of peoples and nations. I've got people in my neighborhood that are from Asia and Europe in Elgin, right down here. You might too. They're here. The nations are here. And they're coming. We must multiply as his witness. It is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. It is the gospel, God, through the message of Jesus Christ crucified, buried, risen, new life in him. This is how God renews the image of God in people. This is how God makes worshiping image bearers is by bringing people to Jesus, filling them with the spirit, equipping them for the work and sending them out. This is how until the end of the age, God is going to keep his promise Keep his command to Adam and keeping his promise to Abraham. Every tribe and tongue and nation will be blessed by the seed, through the seed, who is Christ. So how can we multiply as his witness, as his witnesses? I want to give you two lists. One is for you. The other is for our church. Some of these things are things that you might be doing or could be doing. These might be things that we might be doing or could be doing. They're both things that are actual and aspirational. They're things that are before us and the things out ahead of us. So for you, 
If we're going to multiply as his witness and as his witnesses, then the first question has to be, are you a witness? And that's a twofold question. One, have you been brought to faith in Jesus? Have you experienced this new life of Christ within you? Are you done trying to hold up dead works to God to justify you before him? Are you done making idols for yourself out of anything and everything and everyone? If not, then that is your step today. Yield to Christ. Call out to Jesus to save you, to rescue you, to bring you home, and to bring all of the places where your soul is a desert waste to bring them alive. That in your life, You would have springs in the desert and new life in Jesus. But if you're a Christian, you've been born again, you're following Christ. Are you a witness? And this is anytime you start talking about evangelism and witnessing, everybody's going to like, everybody starts looking down. It's this in prayer, right? If you talk about money, they're kind of like, but you talk about witnessing or prayer, they're going to look down at their feet because they don't want to. Who am I talking about? I'm proud of you guys right now because you're not doing it. You feel the desire. But are you witnesses? If, right, if the great end of the world, every tribe, tongue, and nation, every knee will bow. And if God does that through the gospel, and he does that through the gospel shared, preached, lived, then that's your part. When was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? Have you ever? If we're going to be, if we're going to multiply as his witnesses, if you want to see God's glory shine in Elgin, begin there. Go out this week and pray. Pray. Say, God, I need to share the gospel. Show me who I need to share the gospel with. Pray that every day. Say, God, give me an opportunity. To share the gospel, with the, the good news of Jesus Christ with someone today. And give me the strength to step into that opportunity. Pray for the opportunity and pray for the strength for obedience. So testify. We have to grow as witnesses. Did you know that four out of five South Carolinians. Four out of five South Carolinians. Do not go to a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church on Sundays and actually show no evidence of faith in Jesus? Four or five. You know how many four-fifths you drove by on the way here? You know how many four-fifths you'll see in the grocery store at the post office? You know how many four-fifths live on your street or maybe in your home? Four-fifths. How many churches we got in Elgin? A ton. We're, we are gospel poor and church rich. And may that change. So testify. And God gives you everything you need. Secondly, grow. 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 Those, as those snapdragons went out, they took root in the strangest places. They took root in the nooks and the crannies. 
Places I would never sweep for, not that I ever was, but you would never sweep for a seed. And some of you, you live and work and play and learn in the nooks and crannies. And the only way, the only way for Christ to be demonstrated there more clearly is for you to grow up and actually blossom for his glory. Be in the word, be in prayer, be at church, come on Wednesday nights. Be discipled, get in a group, get in a Sunday school class. Seek to obey Christ. Grow, and as you grow, you're growing as a disciple of Jesus. You're following Christ. And growing as a disciple of Jesus will necessarily mean you make more disciples. So disciple, grow as a disciple, grow and make disciples. Finally, for the individual list, display. I'm sure someone said it. I don't know. I don't have a quote in my head, but I'm sure somebody said it. But there's one of the greatest arguments for the truthfulness of the gospel is the testimony of a transformed life. And that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus and God's presence in your life does. He changes you. He transforms you. So seek that transformation in the context where you are. What does that look like to be fully surrendered to Jesus in your workplace? What does that look like to be fully surrendered to Christ in your home? What does it look like to be fully surrendered to Christ as you're paying the bills and going over your money? What does it look like to be fully surrendered to Christ? Your home, your family, your extended family. You display it. All right, for our church. No, I'm just kidding. There are things that I want to say that we're not going to run into right now. Um, But here are three ways, three ways that we can multiply as a witness to see image-bearing worshipers. One, easy, this is the bottom rung, okay? Invite somebody to church. It's like, it's the easiest thing you'll do. That's not evangelism. I'm not saying it is. But that one invite can change a life. That one, you going to somebody that you know right now. Ideally, you'd be able to share Christ with them. But even if it's say, hey, would you come with me? I'll pick you up. I'll buy you lunch after. I'll buy you a biscuit on the way. Whatever it is. Bribe them with food. That's fine. But invite and get into the routine of that. And as you invite, and as you get accustomed to inviting, begin to share. And what you'll find in Elgin is that there's tons and tons of people who say they're Christians, but they've never called out to Christ. It makes no difference in their lives. You have an opportunity to share and eventually disciple. There's two things that I would love for our church to become a pipeline for. Really three. 
I'm going to tell you a story. And then I'll tell you what I want us to do. The 16th century was a tumultuous time, to say the least. That's the 1500s, if you're curious. Um, the Protestant Reformation was beginning. It was blossoming. The true gospel of Christ was being spread across the European continent. Queen Mary had ascended to the throne in England. And she herself was an enemy of Reformation gospels, Reformation truth. And so the, there were... Tons and tons of exiles that flew out of England. Those who could left. 300 or so gave their lives as martyrs. So she's called Bloody Mary. That's not actually a drink. I mean, it is a drink, but it's not originally a drink. It's a, a Bloody Mary. is called a Bloody Mary because she shed a lot of blood of faithful people. And many of those people fled to the continent and in the continent, you had the, what was happening with the Lutheran churches. Martin Luther had kind of sparked this off in the 1517, nailing it on the door there. But that was in Germany, but Germany was tumultuous. There were very few pockets of places where people could go. To find a refuge, to find a safe space. Some landed in Frankfurt, Frankfurt, even somebody like John Knox, who you might have heard of, pastored a church in Frankfurt for a while. But many of them landed in Geneva. So I'm going to tell you a story about a man many of you might not like, because you might not know him. His name's John Calvin. And he really didn't believe half the things you call Calvinism, but we're going to talk about that another day. But Geneva became a safe place. So it was a place where the city was not a big city, but it swelled. Tens of thousands of people found refuge in Geneva. And Geneva was a Reformation city. But you might not know this, but Calvin was also actually a Frenchman. And France became, by the mid-1550s, it became a hotbed for persecution. Gospel ministers were being killed. Gospel churches were being torn down. Uh, you might know a group called the Huguenots. There's a Huguenot or Huguenot church in Charleston that came later, 1600s. They came here as, as refugees. But many, many people flocked to Geneva. They found safety. They found safety. They found the church preaching the Bible. And what people don't realize is that from 1550... To 1562, over, and that's like seven years, uh, you're looking at a hundred or more ministers, preachers of the gospel, who had started out as refugees, who were equipped in Geneva, and they were sent back into France. Many of them lost their lives as they went either to strengthen churches or to plant churches. People don't think of Calvin as a missionary cinder, but he very much was. So much so that the number of churches preaching the, this, this gospel of free grace, justifying grace in Christ and Christ alone, it went from the 50s, the number of churches in 1555, 
to buy the end of around 50, less than 10 years, or a little bit more than 10 years, you had something around 2,000. You understand what I'm saying? You went from 50 gospel-believing preaching churches to over 2,000. The estimates of the population of that, those churches, came out to around 2 million people. Something like 10% of the population of France at the time. But it was because there was a safe place where the Bible was preached and people were trained and sent out even to the hard place. And the combined, the fire of persecution combined with faithful gospel witness caused the gospel to magnify in that place. So, what should we be? We should be a safe place. People are road weary, beat up and broken. They need to hear grace and they need to receive it. But we need to be a developmental place. That by God's grace, we would see people coming up from within us. That are growing Men that we can send into the pastorate. People that we can send to the nations. People that take up the gauntlet of church revitalization in places that are all around our state, all around our community, that need new life. Some churches even need to be replanted if they need a new pastor. It's a different sort of work than church planting. It's related, but it's different. But that we would be a church that's training men for ministry. In the local church, preachers, pastors, church revitalizers, church replanters, church planters, raising up missionaries to send to the nations, raising up leaders for that, that blossom here. And we're seeing, I believe, if by God's grace, we're seeing the beginnings of this. We see we have guys going to seminary, guys who have gone to the seminary that are interested in ministry and they're, they're staying around. For some unknown reason to grow here. And this needs to be centerpiece for us. It cannot stop. This, the, the vision of image-bearing worshipers filling our community, filling the world to the end of time until the, when Christ comes, it means that we have to be multiplying ourselves. We need to be making more disciples, more disciples that make more disciples, and it's making disciples that makes churches. We need to be calling out those who are gifted that God has made you to shepherd churches. To preach and teach and to lead God's people. Go, come up and go out. But that's going to require a certain posture from us. It's going to require us to have the humility to say it is not ours to cling to the most gifted among us. But it is ours to steward them in order to send them out. So when this day comes, and by God's grace, I believe it will, that we're able to send out a church plant, or we're able to help a church replant, go replant another church, it will mean that we have to send out some of our best. You don't send the B team to the front lines. But that means we got to get the A team together. And that as a church, we need to be investing in this. Right? 
almost 40,000 people within five miles of this spot. And if you just go with the four out of five, I'm not going to do the math because I'm terrible at math, but what's four out of five of 40,000? That's the majority. The majority of our members, I mean the majority of our neighbors are far from God. The majority of our neighbors don't know the message of hope or if they've heard it, they've never believed upon it. And dear ones, you could fill up this church, that church, that church, that church, multiple services, and you're not going to scrape 40,000. There's more than enough work, and we need more leaders. We need more laborers. And this is what Jesus prays for. And not only prays for, he tells us, beseech, urge the Lord of the harvest to raise up laborers for the harvest. And we need laborers on every level. We need laborers on your street. And you're it. Tag, you're it. We need laborers on this street. We need laborers to the ends of the earth. We need laborers. So if we're going to multiply as witnesses, I think a great place for us to to be today is that God would cultivate in us a yes. We don't know exactly to what. But that your yes is to Christ. So some of you need to revamp that and say, I've got to step off the sidelines and we need you in the game. Some of you need to get off the other team and come over to Christ. You need to trust in Christ. Some of you are called and are gifted, equipped. And for whatever reason, you know it, but you don't want to do it. It might be time talk about surrendering again okay let me pray father we thank you for your mercy and lord we don't want our will to be done we don't want our dreams fulfilled we want your will your plan your way we take you at your word that you command us and that you give us everything we need to do what you've commanded us to do So, Father, drive that down into details. Drive that down to hearts. There's some here today who have never yielded to Christ. They've never trusted him, called out Jesus to save them from their sin and despair. Lord, would they do that that today? By your mercy, Lord. I pray, O Lord, that you would stir up your people, that we are built in creation and in redemption. We are built to multiply. And would we multiply for your glory? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.